is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, it's Allie here with your radio sisters, Rachel and Bo. And guess what, guys? It's time for another episode of The Mulberry Lane Show. Well, it's Bo here, and it's mid-September, starting to cool down and settle into a cooler fall rhythm. Yes, Bo, and if you guys are anything like us, we love this time of year. Football games, pumpkin spice lattes, had one this morning, and the butternut squash soup. Oh, yeah, that stuff's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And speaking of cooling off, here's a nice fall breeze of guests blowing your way. I like it. Let's get to it, sisters. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity story songs. You're gonna have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Up first, legendary singer-songwriter from the band Poco, Rusty Young, is here. Now you know Rusty from this hit. It happens all the time. This crazy love of mine wraps around my heart. Refusing to unwind Ooh, crazy love ah, ah. Now Rusty is back with his very first solo album called Waiting for the Sun and you're going to hear all the behind the scenes stories of not only the making of this album but the recording sessions of Crazy Love and some really cool rock and roll nuggets that you won't hear anywhere else. Yes, Rusty's got some great behind-the-scenes stories. And you'll get the scoop on how the album was written, literally, waiting for the sun. Inspirational way to write. Have to get up early, though. (laughs) Not happening here. (laughs) All right, Allie, what's next? Well, then you're going to get a little bit of lifestyle in today's show. Yes, former model and celebrity chef Ellie Krieger joins your weekend. And actually, this is pretty cool. She's joining you from a California table grape vineyard in the Coachella Valley. She's going to transport you there for a little radio vacation. Plus, she's going to give you some healthy snack ideas. You know Ellie as a New York Times best-selling author of cookbooks, including her most current one, You Have It Made, that features a lot of make-ahead recipes to make your life a little easier. Check it out. And she's also the host of Ellie's Real Good Food on the Food Network. All right, Ellie, who's next? Okay, well, we'll rewrap it up today with a very special interview. You're going to meet Charles Berry Jr., the son of the iconic Chuck Berry. Go, go! Of course, the music world lost one of its greats when Chuck passed away in March of this year at the age of 90. Now, Chuck Berry was the first person to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and his musical fingerprints are all over the music map today. You'll get to know Chuck Berry not just as a musical genius, but also as a father through the eyes of his son. And check out Chuck Berry's final album released right after his death in March called Chuck chock full of what will be rock and roll classics oh yeah this is one special interview so we can't wait to meet you later in the hour for that 
Okay, Rachel, you've got something to share. Yes, you know how we are all notoriously late for Every- things. Yes, everyone in the family, we are mulberry late. Yes. <laughs> so we're on our way to Willow's 250 dental appointment, and it's 250, and we're not there yet. So I'm calling, and the receptionist answers, and I said, hi, you know, I'm running about five, six, seven minutes late, but I just want you to know we're on our way. And she's like, that's okay, the appointment is until three. Oh, that's a happy surprise. Yes. So we ended up being three minutes early, and when we got to the parking lot, we parked, and we gave ourselves a round of applause. I hear ya. <laughs> Very rare occurrence. Yes, but is your dental office actually telling you your appointments are 10 minutes I early? I think people are figuring this one out. <laughs> That's one thing to know about all of us Mulberry sisters. If you want us to arrive on time, tell us an earlier time than we need to be there. Yes, and then maybe we'll be on time. Being late is definitely in our DNA. That's right. But we won't be late for this next segment. That's right. Rusty Young is here. You don't want to miss it. Right on time. Stay here with us on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Don't be late. I got all my sisters with me. Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Well, you know his voice from the timeless classic Crazy Love, but right now you're going to spend some time once again with Rusty Young, the singer-songwriter and creative force behind legendary hit band Poco. You're going to hear all about his brand new solo album, Waiting for the Sun, 50 years in the making. Waiting for the sun, hanging out with Rusty Young, yeah, yeah. Very nice. You know, I, that was actually the first version I had of that song. It was just like that. <laughs> How do we know? I don't know. You girls are something else. <laughs> so, Rusty, you were actually retired, and now you have a solo album. So what happened, and how did it come about? I had planned on slowing down and just doing fun things, and, and that's what I was doing. And I was doing a show with Jimmy Messina out in uh, L.A. Jimmy and I play together every once in a while. It's fun. Okay. I was approached by Kirk he said, I have a label called Blue Alon. I'm going to ask you if you'd like to do a solo CD. At that point, I was really gearing down. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I came back home to Buckyhead, Missouri. Okay. And I wrote a few songs. And I thought, well, you know what? I think I've got some stuff here that's been brewing for the past, you know, 15 years. Yeah. I think this might be fun. And so uh, I accepted the challenge okay. and went into the studio and recorded this CD, now- which I'm really, really proud of. Of. Yes. Now, waiting for the Sun, you actually wrote this album, Waiting for the Sun, to come up. So set the scene for us. Yeah, it actually documents making this record, which is kind of fun. Uh, we live in Missouri in the Mark Twain National Forest. We built a home here, a log cabin. sits up over the Hoosaw River. To write this record, for a year, I got up between 4 and 5 in the morning wow. when it was dark, and I, I would go down to the studio which has windows overlooking the view, it would be pitch black, and I'd pick up my guitar and pad and pencil, and I'd sit there, and I'd start strumming and start working on things, and then I'd watch the sun come up. Wow. So I just started writing about, you know, I'm chasing inspiration somewhere in between the lines, hung up on the right words, wrestling with the same old rhymes, you know, talking about the process of writing a group of songs. And I was waiting for the sun to shine. And so that song just... It was what was going on. And, you know, as songwriters, that's what we do. 
at our best, we write about things that are happening in our lives around us. So it's the perfect title song and perfect opening song for the CD because it talks about writing the songs for the CD, and it also captures the mood musically that I wanted because it has Buffalo Springfield and Beatle influences. Okay. You can hear, you know, like the chorus. It's very Beatle-y. When I was finished, I was really, really happy with it, and I was playing it for everybody I know, and, and, and it just was the perfect opening song for my project. Rusty Young, singer-songwriter with hit band Poco, here on the Mulberry Lane Show, chatting about his brand new solo album, Waiting for the Sun. So now, did you find, you know, getting up at that hour, inspiration would magically come because you were there waiting for it? Yeah, you you girls probably know. I mean, a lot goes on in in my head at night when I'm sleeping, and I'll wake up with ideas. Yes. Always uh, write them down. Or record yeah. them. Yes. Okay. Right, yeah, you needed something right next to the bed. Well, I would get up and go downstairs and record them or write them down and work on them. And, you know, that time of the morning, it's so quiet. Mm-hmm. And when the sun starts coming up around here, all the birds start singing. Again, it's a forest. So it's so peaceful and quiet. I could really concentrate and feel creative on a fresh brain first thing in the right. morning with all the inspiration of the night before. Right. And it was the perfect writing opportunity. How awesome. Now, previous to this, were you always a morning person where you'd tend to write in the morning? It just started. It just started with this project. I normally don't do that. Okay, now you recorded the album at Cash Cabin. So why did you choose there? Of all the places you could record... I recorded this album with my bandmates that are in Poco because they're the best musicians I know. You know, Michael Webb, the keyboard player, and Rick Lano, the drummer who comes from Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, They're both session guys. They play sessions all the time in Nashville. And then there's Jack Sundrud, who's been with me since 1985. They're really great musicians, and they're on call, and they play on a lot of hit records that come out of Nashville. They love Poco, and they love being part of it. But we have this thing with us, and you, I'm sure you have the same thing where I don't even have to explain to them. They know what I'm looking for. Uh We're all all on the same plane. They came to me and they said, you know, the perfect place for us to record would be Johnny Cash's old place, the Cash Cabin. And it's on his property out in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And it's the cabin that he and June used to go to in their heyday to get away from the people at the mansion, you know, the the big crowds and that. (laughs) And they would camp out there, and it's a modest little cabin. After June died, Johnny added on to it and made it into a studio, and that's where he recorded, you know, the last couple of things that he did. Out there, it's behind gates, so people aren't dropping in on you, which they do in Nashville all the time if Uh you're in the studio downtown. All all day long, people will be dropping in to see what you're doing or say hello or whatever. There, you were completely left alone. And the five in there, on the wall, you girls would love this, on the wall, Johnny has framed Bob Dylan's original lyrics to Nashville Skyline. Wow. What's the piano that's on the CD? is uh, June's old piano. It's the one that Johnny's sitting at when he does that Hurt song, uh, you know. How cool. A lot of good vibes there. Yeah, a lot of of great vibes. What I love about it is that, you know, it's kind of tucked away and you were alone, not interrupted, kind of like how the album was written, you know, alone before the sun came up. So it kind of continued that whole vibe. Oh, you're right. I never, I didn't think about that, but that's really true. That's uh-huh. very true. Yeah. So now let's talk about a couple of the songs on the okay. album. Do you have mm. a favorite, first of all? I think my favorite has to be a song called My Friend. Okay. And as songwriters, I think you guys would really relate to this. I like to say I'm not a songwriter. I write songs down. 
And it was a song that was already there, and it took about, I think, a day and a half probably to write, or two sessions to write. It was just always there, and I thought originally I was writing it about the 50 years of Poco. Uh Because, you know, in the very beginning, like a lot of musicians, when we started Poco, you know, there were like three of us in an apartment in the valley in L.A., and we had one car between us, and we'd pool our money in order to have lunch. You know, it it was a struggle, and it was a struggle to get the band off the ground. When I look back now, we were all so successful. When you look at Randy Meisner and Timothy B, yeah. they're both in a band called the Eagles. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. <laughs> they tell me that they've done pretty well. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Messina from Loggins and Messina, Jimmy's done really, really well. And, of course, Richie Furet from Buffalo Springfield through South Island Furet and all the projects he's done really well. And, and I was lucky enough with the Legend album and Crazy Love, you know, going to number one. I can't complain. So we've all done really really, really well. You know, we never dreamed we'd be as successful back then as we are now. Yes. So I wrote that song, you know, and it starts off, uh, here we are after all these years, still the same as we were back when, oh, so long ago. And, you know, times may change. I thought I was writing it about us, and it is. But then I started playing it in concert, and I looked out at the audience, and I realized the words I was singing belong to all of us. The Poconuts have been with us for 50 oh, years, yeah. and they've all experienced the same things that I'm singing about in that song. We all shared those things over these 50 years. It wasn't just me and Timothy B., you know. It was all of us. You know, it's one of those songs where you write it, and you don't even realize what it's what about it's until about. all of us said it tells you. And it's almost you a know. tribute to the fans. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a tribute to all of us. It's a song that works for all of us. And so when I got Timothy B. and Richie Furet to sing with me on it, that was the home run. That really made that song. Gotta take a quick break. Be right back with Rusty Young from Poco, now out with the solo album. More stories about the making of the album and more stories from an amazing time in music because he was part of it all. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. And we'll take you to break with the song Rusty was just talking about, My Friends. Here we are after all these years Still the same as we were back when Oh, so long ago, you know My friend Now times may change, you know they do Life's been the stories behind the songs. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Right now, you're hearing from Rusty Young, singer-songwriter of iconic band Poco. Today, he's chatting all about his brand new solo album called Waiting for the Sun. In the first segment, you heard about how he actually wrote the album Waiting for the Sun to Rise on his property in Missouri. And right now, we're talking about the individual songs on the album. Let's get back with Rusty Young. Sarah's song you wrote for your daughter's wedding. So oh, that, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, we're girls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're daddy's girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is, too. She was getting married. She said, Dad, would you sing a song at the wedding for our first dance? And like an idiot, I said, oh, sure, why don't I write a song? And then, it was a really hard song to write because, you know, it's got to be really special. And it took a while to write, but I'm so proud of it. And 
somehow it's gotten out there on YouTube or whatever, and now people are actually using it at other weddings. Perfect okay. song for that. Yeah. I really am fond of it. I really love it. And I'm really bad. I, I'm a crier. Okay. You know, yes. like, you know, uh, Roadrunner cartoons, you when the piano falls down on, on Wile E. Coyote, I, I burst into tears. And uh, so when I sang the song at her wedding, I was in tears by the end of it. And I don't dare sing it in concert because I end up crying at, you know, the very last line, I'll break out into tears. And it's really embarrassing because I'm like a macho dude. You know? <laughs> we don't do that song live just because it's too embarrassing. But that's a really special song for me. Okay, now let's go back a little bit. Now, you were mainly a musician, a steel guitar whiz in the previous bands. And then David Geffen was really responsible for you becoming a singer-songwriter. Can you share that story? <laughs> You've done your homework, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's Rachel for you. There you go. David Geffen had a lot of important parts in my life, some good and some not so good. One thing he did, and I don't think he realized at the time, it was the early 70s, and Richie Fure was leaving the band, and I kind of heard rumors of that. So we got called into his office in L.A. for a special meeting, and we all five walked in, and immediately he called Richie into his office, and we're sitting in the waiting room outside. You know, me, Paul Cotton, Timothy B. Schmidt, and George Grantham. The door closes, Richie goes in, out comes David Geffen, and we're sitting, the four of us, in a row on the couch, and David looks at uh, Timothy B., and he says, Tim, now, you sing and you write songs, don't you? And Tim said yes, and he said, Richie's quitting the band, don't worry about it, you're going to be just fine. And he went to Paul Cotton, and he said, you write and you sing songs, uh, Richie's leaving the band, but you don't have a problem, don't worry about it you'll be taken care of, you're going to be okay. And then he got to me, and at the time I was on the cover of Guitar Player magazine. Okay. I was the most successful pedal steel guitar player, maybe of all time, at that point. And I was in the Guitar Player Hall of Fame with Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix, and you know, I was pretty much the dude. Right. He looked at me and he said, you play steel guitar, you don't sing and you don't write, do you? And I said, no. And he said, you're in trouble. <laughs> and that's, that's when the light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, okay, I get it. The only people really important in music are the ones who write and sing songs. I think that's true. My part in the band was I worked on the arrangements because I played steel guitar and banjo and mandolin and dobro and all that kind of stuff. My job in the band was to color, to make the color around the songs that Richie and the guys wrote. Uh-huh. That day, it changed. That day, I realized that I was going to end up playing in a bar for $50 a night <laughs> if, if I couldn't do that, if I couldn't fill that role. I always helped on the writing of songs, never asking for or getting credit, but, you know, contributing in that. And I really felt like that was something I could do, that I was always good with words and poetry okay. and, and obviously a, a pretty good musician. But so it wasn't I until David Geffen said that that you actually put it in It motion. wasn't when he said that. So I owe him a debt of gratitude. For, <laughs> he did a lot of, like you said, uh, questionable things. But uh, right. one thing he did, that was the moment that changed my life. Yeah. So then you go on and you write Crazy Love. I did. And the ironic thing about that, too, is that it was 10 years after we started Poco. And at that point, Richie had left the band, Timothy had left the band, Jimmy Messina had left the band, and it was me and Paul Cotton. When the band started, as you said, I didn't write, I didn't sing, and the first number one Poco hit ever was a song that I wrote and sang, and it went to number one, and then the album's gone platinum, you know, went multi-platinum. So for the, the guy that sat in the back and played steel guitar and never sang or wrote to have Poco's only, you know, number one song. Exactly. Amazing. Getting the rock and roll scoop with Rusty Young of the man Poco here on the Mulberry Lane Show.
for that recording session when you recorded Crazy Love, did you have a feeling about that song that it was going to be a hit, or was it just another recording session? No, no, we we knew because at, when Timothy left and it was just me and Paul, the label was going to drop us, wow. and uh, we'd already written Heart of the Night and Crazy Love. We were rehearsing them in SIR in, in L.A., and uh, management, we asked them down. We thought they were pretty good, and we asked management to come down, and they listened to them. And then we got word that the label was going to drop us, and uh, so management said to the label, you should go down to the rehearsal and, and listen to what they're doing uh, before you do that. And the label came down, and we played Crazy Love for them, and they said, go make a record. Wow. <laughs> and... and uh, we pretty much knew everybody that we played that for right from the get-go. Uh-huh. You know, said, well, this is Poco's first big hit. It's finally here. Yeah. So now, awesome. do you think being around all the writers and singers that you were during that whole time, do you think not being a writer at that time helped you be open and absorb? It was a big time to be open and absorb everything because e- even the studio was new to me. You know, I was just playing in the local bands in Colorado. And to learn how studios work, and I'd be in the studio and Richie would say, do you hear that, that, you know, that high pitch? Yeah. And they, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue. I wouldn't hear it. I didn't know how to listen in the studio, much less record. And so over the years, I learned from those guys how to make a record, how to write songs. I learned how to sing by listening to them. I mean, Timothy B. and I have real similar voices. Uh-huh. In the beginning, Timothy would sing the songs that I wrote in Poco. It really taught me, showed me, okay, here's how you sing your song. Mm-hmm. You know, we were managed by the same guys that managed America. Okay. So I was around Dewey and Jerry and Dan. and I recorded on their records with uh, George Martin as the producer. Okay. So that was, wow. That was, yeah, it was a big thrill. So I had some really great teachers learning, teaching me the studio, uh-huh. teaching me how to write, and teaching me how to sing. I had the the best school you could possibly have. Absolutely. And you experienced and witnessed. That was such a dynamic, magical time in music. You know, what do you think people would be surprised to know that you know about that time period that maybe people wouldn't realize? I mean, in bands, big thing that happened with all bands was uh, the competition. The competition between the singer-songwriters in the band, like in America, Dewey, Jerry, and Dan, with Buffalo Springfield, they were always competing for the single. Within the band? Yeah, within the band. Okay. Because having the single was the deal. And so there'd be this cutthroat competition between people to have their song be the single. Uh And the first time I met Neil Young, we were in the studio doing the Buffalo Springfield, and he came in. The only thing that he talked about was the fact that he got that little record with the big hole. And he was so thrilled. Now, that was a 45 back then. Was, uh-huh. That's what singles were. So getting that little record with the big hole. And uh, I'd never heard anyone describe it like that. You know, the competition between people. And we had that in Poco, too. There was a real competition, uh, you know, on who had the song. And, so now, uh, did that make things tense? Oh, it, I know it did in some bands. In the Springfield, okay. it did. And we well, you know there's a, the big story about uh, Creedence Clearwater, where the boys in the band weren't happy that, that John wrote all the songs because the guy that writes the songs makes all the money. Right, yeah. uh, and I remember the birds. The birds were unhappy when Gene Clark wrote their big hit, and he had the Ferrari, and the other guys were driving around in Volkswagen. Okay. Yes. And so with the Creedence, you know, they did a record where everybody got to write, not just John. And it was their least successful record ever because John was the songwriter. But there was that, you know, animosity between the guys because the one guy is, is really making a lot more money than the other guys, and they all think, you know, well, this is all our band. We should be equal. Right. 
So and, sometimes uh, keeping it equal can actually damage the band in a way. Damage well, Richie, the success, yeah. Yeah, Richie did an interesting thing that I thought was really cool and really neat of him. And the beginning of Poco, he made the publishing band publishing. Yes. So that everybody in the band got a share of the writing royalties. I think that was really a smart idea. Yes. Then if you make it that way, everyone is pretty honest about what is the best song, not trying to just buy for their own song. Right, yeah, right. Before we let you go, did you have a favorite moment in the studio? recording this current solo album? A favorite moment. Uh, we had a great time doing a song called Gonna Let the Rain Wash It All Away okay. because we had these two girls come in who are just unbelievable, soulful singers, R&B singers. You know, it's, I'm gonna let the rain and they do rain. Uh-huh. It was just so cool. And the band was rocking. I think it was like a one-take song because, you know, my tribute to the Rolling Stones, I guess. It's, okay. and the message is about these times that we're in. I'm sitting here in the cabin. When things would get to me about what's going on in our country, I'd look out and watch the rain on the leaves out in the forest and just think about, you know, they've been here so long and they've seen so much and the rain comes and just washes, washes it, away. it away. And it was great hearing them just, you know, soulfully you know, hitting those yeah. things. And us, you know, just rocking like we were 18 again. Yeah, And I'm sure that's a great live song on tour. We just got through rehearsing the new album, and it is a knock-you-down great, great song for the set. Yeah. Don't you love it when it works out that way? Oh, I do. (laughs) Especially when it's easy. You know, you don't have to force anything. It's just natural. Exactly. Well, this album was meant to be. I'm glad you waited for the sun. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was great talking to you, ladies. Yes, right. we'll catch up down the road. Okay. Okay, Rusty. That's a deal. Thanks, Rusty. That's a deal. Rusty Young with the legendary rock band Poco with his brand new solo album, Waiting for the Sun. Right back here on the Mulberry Lane Show with celebrity chef Ellie Krieger. Shine, shine, for the sun to shine. Got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you're about to meet a very familiar celebrity chef. You know Ellie Krieger is host of the Food Network show, Ellie's Real Good Food. And from her best-selling cookbooks that marry healthy goodness and tastiness in an authentic and friendly way. Now, her latest book, You Have It Made, Delicious, Healthy, Do-Ahead Meals, is definitely one to check out. Now, Ellie joins your weekend from a California table grape vineyard in Coachella Valley. Ellie Krieger stopping by, healthy snacks for you to try, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> well, it's I great having song. you on the show. Ellie Krieger stopping by. I love it. <laughs> okay, so first we're in a studio here, but you're in Coachella Valley, so give us some radio candy. Take us there for a minute. Oh, yeah. I am here in Coachella Valley, California, in the middle of a grape vineyard. Beautiful vines dripping with perfectly ripe grapes oh, ready boy. to be eaten. <laughs> And the mountains are in the background. It's just really fabulous. Oh, we wish and we were there with you. Oh my gosh. Well, I have these grape-inspired snacks that are completely so fun and easy. Okay, so um, what are some quick snacks? Okay, so how about this one? You know ants on a log, right? You've uh-huh. had that. That's like classic. But I've upgraded the whole thing in a fresh, juicy way. So I do celery, peanut butter, 
and fresh grapes mm. all along the inside. Nice. And I call it grapes in a canoe. <laughs> and then I take, <laughs> I take little pretzel sticks, small ones, and I put them in there as little oars. Okay. And they're so adorable. Yes. It's a really balanced, healthy, delicious, easy snack. And when they look cute, you know, it encourages kids to eat healthy too. Exactly. You got to market it to them a little bit. Right. Package nicely, right? The other thing I love is, is have you ever tried frozen yes, grapes? Yes, love it. Aren't they awesome? Great. You can eat them right out of the freezer, so they're almost like little orbs of sorbet. Uh-huh. But what I like to do with them, so you get some wooden skewers, and you just alternate grapes and alternate with pieces of banana, and then you drizzle some melted chocolate mm. over the skewers, okay. and then freeze them. And then you have these beautiful, colorful treats uh-huh. that are also good for you. Well, right now you're listening to The Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with New York Times bestselling author and Food Network celebrity chef host, Ellie Krieger. Her new book is called You Have It Made, Delicious, Healthy, and Do-Ahead Meals. So now our mental attitude toward healthy eating is so important, and you weren't always a healthy eater. So what do you say to inspire us to look at food with a healthy attitude and try to health up our recipes? Well, you know, I like to think of it as an exploration. Okay. So I don't think of it as a should, right? Okay. I mean, that's boring, right? Right. And it makes <laughs> you not want to do it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you should eat something because it's compellingly delicious. And fresh produce is compellingly delicious. There's uh-huh. just no doubt about it. And so exploring ways to really enjoy it when it's in season and do it in a fun way, I think, is really key. And so keeping it about the exploration, the taste, and the fun, I think is a surefire way to go. Yes. And then that sets it in such a positive light, too. And it makes it creative, which I think we're all more drawn to things that bring out our creativity as well. Exactly. Absolutely. And then before we let you go, obviously you're in a very inspirational place right now, but where do you go for inspiration for new recipes? Oh, my gosh. Well, I live in New York City. I mean, I cook most nights. Okay. But I do find the restaurant scene there so inspiring. I mean, the chefs are doing amazing things. Even going to, like, the Greek neighborhoods or exploring different, like, ethnic cuisines I love. And are you always thinking about, gosh, I would do it this way or I would tweak this? Well, I always think I want food to be really easy at home. Uh So I might say, oh, how can I achieve this kind of interesting flavor profile, but at home in a way that's easy? So you're basically the translator. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a good way of of putting it. I I do get a lot of inspiration online, by the way, too. I love following on Instagram and and posting on Instagram. I feel like all those visuals are really great. So many people doing creative things with food. And I get inspired by your website, and I have done for many years your chocolate cherry almond. Oh, yeah. yeah those, are, yeah. those are a favorite here, so. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Thanks for sharing that with me. All right, Ellie. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining the show and helping up our snacks. We love it. Thanks. You take care now. You too. Celebrity chef Ellie Krieger. Her new cookbook is You Have It Made, Delicious, Healthy, Do-Ahead Meals. Check it out now. Well, keep hanging out with us on the Mulberry Lane Show. Be right back with Chuck Berry Jr. Up close and personal. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, we lost a musical icon earlier this year when the father of rock and roll, Chuck Berry, passed away. He was the very first inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He received a Lifetime Achievement Grammy, and his song, Johnny Be Good, was named number seven on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. And those are just a few of his lifetime accolades. 
Now joining your weekend today is Chuck Berry's son, Charles Berry Jr., to chat about the posthumous release of his father's final album, Chuck. Charles Berry Jr. with you and me, talking about Chuck and his legacy. That was great! (laughs) (laughs) That never happened. I loved it. Awesome! Great to have you with us. Thank you. Okay, now this album, Chuck, it had to be a labor of love. So what was it like recording with your dad, you know, throughout the years? I know it was worked on for a number of years. And then, you know, kind of knowing that the end was near. Well, you know, yeah, he worked on it for a very long time. He worked on it for 38 years. It started off in 1979 after the release of his last album, Rocket. So he works on it from 79 to 89. And Dad, you know, is in the midst of also uh, still touring, and he also had other business ventures. Okay. So he's cranking this stuff out. He's got quite a bit of uh, material that he's managed to put together. Oh, March, April of 1989, his recording studio burns to the ground. And it burns, all the tapes burn up, all the recording equipment burns up. It's just cinders out of of my parents' place they call Berry Park. Wow. So a couple years go by, 1991, he has his studio put back together. That's so hard to go back and redo everything. Yes, especially when, you know, you're having these creative spurts. Right, and, stuff and you just, capture it in the moment. Exactly. Well, you put the recording on it, so you know exactly <laughs> the process. So, you know, he gets his recording studio put back together, and then he's going back, and he now has to recreate all that music. And Dad's popularity had really spiked during that time. So between that touring and the other stuff it just took him another 20 some odd years and he did take his time sure he really did take his time and he probably Uh, wanted it to be exactly the way he wanted it yes exactly Mm -hmm. precisely so now the album it does feature many people important to your dad and some musical giants as well so talk a little bit about who's on the album okay uh, I appear on the album, I play rhythm, but I also do some solo work. Okay. Uh, my big sister, Ingrid, who's a incredible vocalist and incredible harmonica player, she appears. My son, Charles III, uh, we call him Charlie, you know, okay. Charles and Charlie. Okay. He's featured on two of the songs doing solo work. Awesome. And then there's three guys, great performers, Gary Clark Jr., Nathaniel mm-hmm. Ratliff, and Tom Morello. Gary opened for us back in 2006, and oh, I, I say us. He opened for my father. I was just a, I was just a mere side man, you know. But you were there. I was there. So he opens for us back in 2006. My dad comes out and he says, "Yeah, that kid's good. In fact, he's really good." So years later, my dad, you know, he did 209 shows at this place called Blueberry Hill in St. Louis. Okay. He's going forward, he's going forward, and, you know, he starts to let people sit in. So, like, Joe Perry, Errol Smith sat in with us. Wow. Earl Slick of David Bowie and John Lennon as a guitarist for them, he sat in. Yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So, but when Dual Tone decided to ask, because, you know, my dad had creative control over this, do you okay. think it would be okay if maybe we got just a couple other artists just to come in and do something? And my dad and my mom, they both were like, well, it's a Chuck Berry album. Why? But, you know, so they thought about it and said, okay, well, let's see. So we get Gary. I sent Gary a letter, okay. but Gary came in and did his stuff. Okay. Charles Berry Jr., son of the late great icon Chuck Berry, here on the Mulberry Lane Show, talking about his dad's final album, Chuck. So now, did the three generations, did you all play together on the yeah. album? Okay. 
So talk about what that was like, you know, looking to one side, seeing your dad, looking to the other side, seeing your son, all recording together. Now, is that Rachel or is that That Al? was Rachel. Rachel, you are like the Three Stooges, you know. <laughs> there's this scene where Mo and his lady are standing, there's a pile on the ceiling, and he's trying to get away, and, and she says, young man, what's going on? And she says, lady, you must be psychic. <laughs> you must be psychic, because what you just described occurred to the T. Now, this was at a concert in St. Louis. My son sat in with us. Turned out he did an entire show with us. So, but there's a picture of myself, my dad, and my son. A couple of pictures, as a matter of fact, in Rolling Stone. And what you just described is exactly, exactly what this picture is. We're on stage. All three of us have our guitars. I'm in the middle. I look to my right. There's my dad. I look to my left. There's my son. Wow. So I know... How proud my dad, because he even said, I'm very proud of you, man. I'm very proud that you joined the band. And now I understood what he said, because we just did a show, the Jimmy Fallon show, yes. uh, the other day. And it was just myself and my son, and I was just beaming. Oh. So, but now, I mean, that extended to the record. He's on two of them with us. He's on Wonderful Woman and Lady Be Good. It's the four of us doing solo work. So Gary Clark is on uh, Wonderful Woman with us, and it's just madness. It's fantastic guitar stuff. Lots of fun. So now your dad was all about finishing this album and getting it out there. And so far, reviews have been glowing. So what do you think your dad would think? Mission accomplished. Okay. Yeah, you know, because that's what he wanted. He wanted to release something that people would like. And I maintained his Facebook page uh -huh. for him. I would post something, whether it be just a picture or, you know, an article or whatever, get the feedback, and then I would just print, you know, what his Facebook followers said. Say, Dad, here's what they think. He's like, oh, that, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Like what's, that. This, what's this <laughs> called? Facebook? Okay. But, uh, you know, and it's really sad. It's a sad thing to know that I can't do that now. Right. You I know, bet. because yeah. when Big Boys was released back in the third week of March, like five days after my dad died, of course, I go to the Facebook page, and I'm looking at the, oh, this is great. So I'm seeing the feedback from the people. It's like, okay, I'm going to take mom and dad. To, oh, oh, God, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I can't do it. Now, when your dad passed, you know, there was such an outpouring of love and admiration from not just the musical community, but the world community. So what was that like for you to really see the impact your dad had on the world? Well, you know, I knew that he was a big wheel when I was a little kid and I would see him on television. My mom would say, he's on. And that was the, that was the clarion call to say, run down to the room we call the music room because he was going to be on television. Okay. Even when he passed away and seeing all the condolences, you know, I saw a couple of things where in St. Louis where, you know, there were people young and old. They dedicated a statue to my dad, not too far from the venue that he played at mm -hmm. for years. And the ladies crying. And there was a young man and young lady from Japan came mm -hmm. from Tokyo. Wow. He had flown in. So these people spent thousands of dollars just to come and pay homage to my dad. It made me feel really sad, but it also made me feel good to know yeah. that the dedication to my dad's music that some had, that they were willing to, I just have to come. And I had to touch his statue. Wow, like, wow the, man. The impact he had. Yeah. So now I know we have to let you go, but before we do, would you have a message for others who are going through the same process right now, having recently lost their father? 
Okay, here it is. I love my dad. I love my dad dearly. You know how I feel if you loved your parents. If you were willing to do anything for them, you were always at their beck and call, then you know how I feel. Yes. And for the people that have lost their fathers, and you felt like I did, or I do, then we're in that club. It's the worst club to be in, and that's the club where you've lost one of your parents. Mm -hmm. But if you love them, it isn't going to be quite as horrible as it may seem than the fact that he's not there anymore because you have that memory that you love him. And I, I love, love that. Dear. I love what you just said. Thank you. Beautiful. And thank you so much for joining the show, Charles. It's been an honor to help honor your dad's legacy. Well, thank you very much, lady. Thank you. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the evergreens, there stood a log cabin made of earth and wood, where lived a country boy named Johnny B. Good, who never ever learned to read or write so well, but he could play a guitar just like a ring in a bell. Go, go! That's Charles Berry Jr. talking about his legendary dad, Chuck Berry. So cool to know that not only was Chuck Berry a musical genius, but he was also a really loving dad. It truly is, Rachel. And make sure you guys pick up Chuck Berry's last album, simply called Chuck, and get your rock and roll on. And we want to thank Charles Berry Jr. for joining the show, bringing the stories of your dad, and of course, the awesome music. Who else do we need to thank, Allie? Well, Allie Krieger, you guys know her from the Food Network. Allie joined us today from a vineyard in Coachella Valley, California. Must be rough. These Nebraska girls can only dream. (laughs) Make sure you pick up a copy of her book. It also makes a great gift idea. It's called You Haven't Made Delicious, Healthy Do-Ahead Meals. And who doesn't need to refresh their go-to recipes? And who doesn't need to do them ahead, too? That's right. (laughs) Who needs to just do them at all? Exactly. I'm just working on the do them at all. (laughs) (laughs) Got to start somewhere. Right. All right, girls, who else? Hit-making singer-songwriter Rusty Young of the band Poco out with his solo album, Check It Out, Waiting for the Sun. Rusty, thanks for sharing your stories and your rock and roll heart. That seems to say it all, Rachel, and these sisters are going to be waiting for your rock and roll hearts next weekend, the same time, same place. Keep that beat alive. Both stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Woo! I know it. Yes. All right. It